You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Um, good morning. Um, I'm Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to find myself. Uh, it's been a 50-year struggle to find myself. Um, it, for those of you uh, who haven't met me, uh, my name's Mark. I'm part of the preaching team, and uh, I guess it's been a while since I've done this. Um, just want you to know that if you've never uh, seen me preach, um, I'm kind of known as the crying preacher, so today <laughs> I came prepared. <laughs> All right, um, so today... Um, we're continuing our series in Daniel called The Sacred Stand, uh, and we're looking at how righteous people react to and handle situations in an unrighteous world. Uh, Chris began the series telling us a sacred stand means that we firmly decide to honor God amidst a fallen culture while genuinely seeking to serve the people within that culture. It's all about uh, inviting the transforming presence of God into our world. Then two weeks ago, uh, Carolyn uh, told us the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who taught us how to separate our faith from the outcome uh, and realize that God is our ultimate concern, even if God does not. Last week, we used stories from Daniel to learn how to aim for redemption so we can touch the glory of God. It's starting already, so um, you'll see. So this week we're going to be in Daniel 9. Um, so if you'd like to turn there, we're actually going to read a good bit of that passage. And um, as always, as we say, the best way to engage the message is with an open Bible, an open heart, <laughs> and then something to write with. I love this country. I do. I love the United States. Now, while I'm not a great world traveler, I have been around and I have been to some spiritually dark countries, and I know enough that in this country we uh, have a lot of freedom. We have a lot of opportunity. I would even say that we're a blessed country, uh, doing no small part to our Christian heritage. Uh, by and large, you know, we've been a, we have a history as a people who have sought after God and I believe he's rewarded us in that. Unfortunately, for one reason or another, our society, our culture, seems to be moving away from God. And there are a number of very consistent themes throughout the Bible, and uh, one of them is that bad things tend to happen when people, both individually or collectively, move away from God. Such stories abound in the Old Testament in Daniel, it's the reason the Israelites find themselves in exile in Babylon. I believe that as a country, we are seeing the adverse effects of a societal shift away from God. I, I believe that. And as Chris pointed out in an earlier message, our culture will tempt us to get comfortable with ways and behaviors that are hostile to God's ways. 
that this tendency to get comfortable about such behavior is epitomized by the currently popular phrase, hey, you do you. How many of you have said that? I've said that a whole bunch, right? Hey, you do you. Unfortunately, that is a theologically horrible statement to make. You don't do you, you do Jesus. Now, I don't want to see bad things happen to our country. I want God to continue to bless it, certainly because I want God to glorify it, glorify, I'm sorry, glorify himself, but also, in a fit of honesty, I live here. I'd rather live in a country that God is blessing than a country that God is not. Um, yeah. So if I love my country, and my country happens to be shifting away from God, how can I take a sacred stand for it um, so that it will repent and turn towards God? Many issues uh, facing our country may seem way, way too big for us as individuals or even as a small congregation uh, to handle, but for God. So just a, as an instance, back in 2020 when a lot of things were going downhill really quickly, um, all the ri we had a whole bunch of riots going on around the country, and a bunch of them were in Atlanta. And I, I distinctly remember thinking to myself that there is no way that any of this will be fixed unless God is brought into the middle of it, until, until Jesus is brought into the middle of it. So that really is the only answer, to return to God, to bring Jesus back into the mix. And to be honest with you, that's our job, is to bring Jesus into the mix. And the only way to do that, the primary way to do that, uh, is through prayer. And that actually brings us to Daniel 9 and his prayer for a nation. So Daniel 9 takes place during the, or Daniel, the whole book, not just Daniel 9, but Daniel takes place during the Babylonian exile, which is a time period in which most of Israel and Judah have either been killed, they've been scattered to various nations, or they've been carried off to Babylon. The nation of, uh, or the area surrounding Jerusalem, where we think of Israel, basically a de desolate wasteland. Armies have come in and just basically completely destroyed the place. So it was that particular exile was an event that was predicted by Jeremiah, who prophesied it, I'm sorry, who prophesied that it would last for 70 years. Specifically, Jeremiah 29:10 states, "This is what the Lord says: When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place." Chapter 9 opens by telling us that Daniel has been studying Jeremiah and he has realized that the time for exile is coming to an end. So in this recognition, he offers up a prayer for his nation that we find in chapter 9. Um, so if you're willing, would you stand as we read the word? In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah, the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to, Lord, to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, 
O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants and prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing, us, bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned. We have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, hear and act for your sake, O oh my God. Do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Thank you. So, as we take a look at that prayer, we have to remember that Daniel is praying for Israel which is unique among nations. God has a very specific plan for Israel. So he's made them certain promises that he doesn't make any other country. Consequently, some of the things that are in that prayer are for Israel and Israel alone. That said, there are things that we can take to it, take from it, and apply to a prayer or a sacred stand for our own country. First, making a sacred stand for a nation 
is no small thing. It's not. The Israelites, they're in exile for a reason. Hundreds of years of poor governmental and cultural decisions have led them astray from God. Even though God warned them through his word and his prophets, they chose to continue down a reckless path. Finally, God says, enough, this has to stop. Because of your disobedience, Israel will become a wasteland, and you will be taken off to serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. The sacred stand that Daniel is taking here is no small thing, because he's asking God to forgive the sins of millions of people over many generations. He's asking God to end the exile as quickly as possible so the Jewish nation can go back to their homeland, rebuild the temple, and worship. Despite the, the enormity of that, he's not praying in vain. And he's not praying in vain because there's a number of reasons that are in his favor. I'm going to give you two that are real quick. One, his prayer is based on a promise of God. God declared something would happen after 70 years. So through Jeremiah, God said that the exile would only be for a certain amount of time. And Daniel knows that that time, that the end of that time is approaching and approaching quickly. He also knows from his personal experiences, okay, he's been in the den of the lions. He saw what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's interpreted king's prayers, okay? So from his personal experiences, he knows that God is faithful and will fulfill his promises. It's a sure bet. Two, when Daniel prays for Israel, he's not praying for a king to be restored. He's not praying for a system of government. He's praying for a people to be reconciled to their God. Because of their sin, God's treasured people are in exile. They're back in bondage, and it breaks Daniel's heart. You can hear that as he pleads for God's mercy. Daniel's prayer isn't in vain because he's praying the very heart of God who wants nothing more than his, for his people to be restored to a right relationship with him. The second thing that we see is that Daniel's prayer is rooted in intercessional confession. So almost three-fourths, now I'm a math guy, so I had to bring math in here somehow, okay? So almost three-fourths of Daniel's prayer is spent confessing. Throughout it, we read verses like, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened uh, to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. So Daniel knows Israel's history. He knows they completely were off the mark as God's holy people. They were way far away from where they needed to be. He knows that they have broken God's commandments, really an outright rebellion. The people knew the consequences of their actions. They knew all the prophets told them. Um, and so they knew the consequences, of, of the consequences of their actions, and they're experiencing them right now. While they are in exile, that's a consequence of their rebellion. And yet, through all that, they still remained unprayerful and unrepentant. Daniel recognizes that God is just in his punishment. He's just for scattering them throughout the nations. 
Daniel does not make the slightest excuse for Israel's sins, and he has placed none of the blame on God. The fault is to Israel and Israel alone. So, um, as I read this prayer in preparing for this message, um, the one thing that really, really stuck out to me was all the times that Daniel said, we and us. By all accounts, Daniel was a holy and a righteous man. Nothing bad was ever said about Daniel, and there are very few men, I think we can count two, of which that is said in the Bible. Okay, Daniel is one of them. Who's the other? Huh? Oh, Enoch. (laughs) I was thinking about Jesus, but okay, if Christopher wants to go to Enoch, okay. All right, fine. Um, Okay, so by all accounts, uh, Daniel is a holy and righteous man. Nobody had anything bad to say about him. So in all honesty, what responsibility did Daniel bear for Israel's sin? He could have complained. He could have made it a they they prayer, Um, but he doesn't. He could have said, God fixed them, but he doesn't. Instead, he chooses to identify with his people and share the burden of their sin through intercession. He claims it really as his own. And so, uh, you know, as so often happens when I read the Bible, I'm confronted with one of those tough questions that God immediately pops into my heart. And that question is this, what responsibility do I bear for others' people's sin? Is my heart broken over it? Now, if you're like me, your first response to that question might be other people's sin. I have enough trouble about worrying, you know, worrying about my own, let alone somebody else's. But even though he was blameless, Daniel shares the burden of Israel's sin because, like God, his heart is broken over it. Okay? His heart is broken over the sins of his nation. You can hear it as he prays. You can see it in his preparation. You know, Daniel didn't come to this prayer, you know, kind of on a whim. He prepared for it. He fasts. He puts on sackcloth and ashes. In humility and mourning, Daniel sets his face towards God. He takes this intercessional prayer for a nation seriously because he is serious about wanting God to move among his people. The third thing that we can use out of Daniel's prayer is that making a sacred stand for a nation has to ultimately be about God. As Daniel prays, he recognizes that he's actually powerful, uh, powerless to bring about uh, the end of the exile uh, and to reconcile God to his people. He, he, Daniel can't do that, and that's kind of an, an ironic thing because uh, Daniel's pretty high up in the government. Uh, he is a man of authority. He has the king's ear. Um, and so uh, even though he has the king's ear, the king... If, he could, if Daniel could convince the king, the king could possibly end the exile. But what the king can't do is he can't forgive sin and he can't reconcile a people to their God. God alone can do that. God alone controls the ultimate destiny of Israel. So throughout his prayer, even while he's confessing, Daniel appeals directly to God's 
nature. So in verse 4, for instance, he begins with, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. In verse 7, Lord, you are righteous. In verse 9, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiven, forgiving. He also ends the prayer with a direct appeal to God's glory. So in verses 17 and 19, Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear. Lord, act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Do this for you. Daniel asks God to do this for his sake and his glory. There is no expectation of receiving anything for the people of Israel except forgiveness. Ultimately, Daniel's prayer is all about God showing his glory through the people, the city, and the country that bears his name. In the end, the intensity and sincerity of Daniel's prayer gets God's attention. And the answer comes very swiftly, actually. It comes while Daniel is still praying. But it's not quite the answer that Daniel expects. God sends an angel. Wouldn't that be cool to have God send us an angel? That would be cool. That would be cool. Okay? God sends Gabriel, an angel, who tells Daniel that while the time of the exile is drawing to a close, the Jews will still continue in their transgression. Yes, they're going to be allowed to go back to Israel, but they're still going to persist in their sin. But after a period of time, 490 years to be exact, the Anointed One will come to make full atonement for for sin and will ultimately be put to death. The ending of Daniel 9 is one of the key prophecies about the coming Messiah about our Lord Jesus Christ and the redemptive work that He's going to do on the cross. So what we see, even in the Old Testament, is that any sacred stand or prayer for redemptive work in individuals or even a nation must ultimately be rooted in Christ. So, how do we apply the ideas from Daniel 9 to a sacred stand to a prayer for our own nation. It may be tempting to actually use Daniel 9 as written, but we have to be careful in doing so because, again, Israel's a very specific country, you know, who, who God sees as his favored nation, his favorite people. While it may come as a surprise to you, uh, we need to recognize that America is not Israel. I hate to break it to you that, um, you know, God doesn't owe us anything in the United States. He does not. Um, He just doesn't. Uh, And to say it bluntly, if God is willing to turn the nation of his favorite people into a desolate wasteland because of their sin, and we are not his favorite people, what's he willing to do to us to get our attention? It's a humbling thought. 
So not everything in Daniel 9 can be applied to America. That said, there are some things that we can use. First, Daniel teaches us not to be scared to pray for big things. So we're going to do that. We're going to pray for a big thing. Most of you uh, would likely agree that our country right now is facing some pretty serious issues. we got some junk going on. Um, and those issues, they may seem too big to handle, right? Like how in the world could an individual or a small congregation like us ha- ever possibly have an effect on the, the things that are going on in our country? Um, and so it may be easy just to give up. And I'm going to confess to you that um, until I prepared for this message, that was my posture. Um, I was taking a posture of giving up on this country, kind of saying, okay, you want to go do your thing? I'm going to go let you do your thing. Um, And I'm just going to go over here, and I'll be in my own little corner, and I'll worship Jesus. Um, But you know what that is? Really what that is, is that's a temper tantrum because I don't get to be right. And um, I don't think that's what God would have me do for the country that I live in and that I love. So, honestly, we can always pray because prayer really is our best hope because no matter how big the issues seem, in a country of almost 350 million people, God is bigger. God is still bigger. When we pray, our prayers should focus on the people of our nation rather than on our system of government. To be frank, I don't know how much God really cares about our system of government because he has moved through all systems of government. He is much more concerned about the people that live in that nation rather than how they are governed. When we pray, our prayer should be an intercessional confession rather than a list of complaints about what those others are doing. When we pray, we should yearn for the people of our country to repent, to turn back toward God, and to ask for His mercy and compassion on our nation. When we pray, we should come humbly before God, which is the only possible posture if our hearts are truly broken over the sins of our nation. Finally, when we pray, our prayer should ultimately be about God. We should look to God's greatness and His goodness, to His mercy and His majesty, Our passion and request should be that God show His mercy, that God be glorified, and that His kingdom should expand by leaps and bounds. It should all be about Him because He alone can save. He alone holds the ultimate destiny of the United States of America in His hands. He is the one that holds the ultimate destiny of the people in our country in his hands. So as we come to a a close and finish this up, um, I would probably be a bit remiss if I didn't end this message with a prayer for a country. Um, It's no small thing to ask God to change the course of a country, to ask God to sow 
uh, to move um, our people to turn toward him and repent. It's easy to think that there is no way that we, as a small congregation, can have any influence over our nation. But my response to that would be, Daniel was a single guy. There was no other person praying that prayer but Daniel. God heard his prayer and answered. So I don't think that any prayers we make on the behalf of our country are in vain. Because God's heart's desire is to see that the people of our country, to see all people, be restored and reconciled to him. However, I do think God's response depends on a certain amount of humility, seriousness, and brokenness over a culture that seems to be turning from God. So let me ask, you all live here. Are you serious about praying for your country? Is your heart broken over the sins of our nation? And they are many. Do you love the people of this country enough this to pray for that they'll come to know God? In a moment, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And as I said, this is no small thing. This is a serious thing that we're about to do. So I would ask you, if you are willing, just first of all, ask, am I really serious about this? And then if you are, this has to be done in humbleness and humility. So I would ask that you take a posture of humility, whatever that might look like. If you want to kneel at the altar or at your seat, honestly, if I were at home, I'd be laying flat on the floor face down. It is okay. Whatever posture you want to take, it is okay. There is no judgment in this place at this point in time because we're about to beseech our Heavenly Father for our country. I'm going to share one more thing to you. This did not happen at the first service, but as we were worshiping, and I, I don't share visions much at all because I don't always trust that I'm hearing from God, but this one I know I am. I know I'm hearing from God on this one. While we were worshiping earlier, I had the distinct vision that we are coming to the foot of the cross with Jesus and his arms outstretched, nailed to the tree, and we are laying our sins before him. And he's going to answer. He is hearing that prayer. This is serious. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you are great and you are awesome. You are holy and good and righteousness belongs to you. You are faithful to your word and to your promise of unfailing love. You are a great lover of people. You are merciful and compassionate but wise in your decrees and just in your punishment. Father, we come before you to confess the deeds of our country. 
We have sinned. We've committed iniquity. We've acted wickedly. And we've rebelled. But we have abandoned the teachings you set before us through your servants and your holy word. Instead, we teach our children the futile thoughts of men as truth. God, we lie to our kids. We pursue pleasure rather than holiness and iniquity, rather than justice. We have condoned evil, calling it good, while persecuting those who walk in righteousness. We bear shame, Lord God, because of our deeds. And that shame is ours and ours alone. Father, we in the church, those who are called by your Son's name, we also have to confess. Too many times, Lord God, we have chosen to follow the culture rather than follow you. Too many times we have not stood up for your righteous ways. Too many times we have forgone opportunities to tell others about you. Too many times, Lord God, we have allowed people to die in their sins because our hearts have not been broken but callous. Lord, we in the church know better. We know better. Our shame is worse because we know. Forgive your church, Lord God. We have not done what you've asked us to do. Lord, you would be right to send swift judgment on our country according to your holy ways. Lord, you are just to allow our nation to struggle because of our sin. Yet even in our struggles, we still choose to chase after our guilty pleasures. We still choose to rebel in our sin. In all honesty, your wrath and your anger are what we deserve. But you are full of grace and love. We know we don't deserve it. But time after time, Lord God, you've poured out your mercy and your forgiveness. Time after time, you've shown us nothing but compassion. So, Father God, listen to our prayers. Let your anger and your wrath turn away from America. Call us as a nation back to you. Help us to return to your righteous ways. Help us, Lord God, to seek your face. Help us to be in love with you again, Lord God. Lord God, don't do this because of who we are, Lord God, but because of who you are. Do this so that our country and the world might know that you are God. Do this so that your kingdom will expand. And above all, Lord God, please do this for your glory. Oh, Father God, how we want to see your glory show. Shine your glory, Lord. Let your glory shine. Lord God, hear our prayers. Listen as we plead for our country. Lord, for your own sake, smile on us again. We make this plea, Lord God, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Lord God, hear us. Lord God, forgive us and restore us to your ways. Do this, Lord God, because we cannot. We can't do this. Please don't delay. 
because this country and the people called by your son's name need you. We need you, Lord God. You are our last and only hope. It's in your mighty name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.